0: it's time to take the quiz five questions five minutes a day five days a week
1: take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did play share and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox
2: live from the fox news radio studios in new york city fresh off the set of fox and friends it's america's receptive voice Brian hey, thanks so much me. for being
3: here, everybody.
4: It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Exciting week. So glad you were with us. Jason Riley standing by, Wall Street Journal columnist, Manhattan Institute senior fellow. And uh, we're going to talk to Admiral James Stavridis about what's happening in Ukraine. There's a momentum shift and it's towards the Ukrainians. We'll talk about that as well as the president's two-hour phone call with President Xi. Uh, and we'll tell you about the exciting events. The president doesn't have much on his calendar, so we'll have to focus on what happened yesterday. And there's a lot. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
5: Big Three. Number three if there's any inflaming going on, it's coming from China's side. This is taking place within the context of existing policy. So I really think this is much more about Chinese domestic politics than it is about American foreign policy.
4: And I'll explain that too. Brian and Xi meet for about two hours. What was said, what wasn't it, why it's more important than ever that Speaker Pelosi continue on her trip to
6: visit Taiwan.
7: Number two.
6: Both Chairman Powell and many of the, uh, um, uh, Significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. Yeah, Joe Biden is smooth as ever yesterday. Reality in recession, not the word to describe
4: what the Biden administration is spouting on the economy, even though reality is we're in a
7: recession.
8: Number one.
7: And you know what you got? $850 billion just in the last two days in new spending. That is going to make the recession worse and the inflation higher. Uh, that is Larry
4: Kudlow. Joe and Joe get two, but the po- uh but the poison, uh, but the most, but the poison—the bipartisan well, but poison the bipartisan well for uh, for good as the Chips Bill sails, and then a stunning 700-page bill appears, bursting with tax increases and in climate projects, 850 billion spent with money we don't have. So let's bring in Jason Riley. Jason, I, I got you, Calm. I understand it uh the president's got between uh 30 and 35% approval rating depending on the poll. He is sucking wind. However, a lot of people looking at yesterday as two big wins for him, are you?
3: Well, <laughs> no, no, I, I don't I don't I don't see it that way. Although, um uh I can see how how people could think that. I mean, it, it, the timing of this of this bill, uh the sort of slim down bill back better couldn't be worse. I mean, we're, we're four months out from the midterm election, and the Republicans have really given uh, the Democrats something to run on here. And, and so I can see how people could think uh, this could be helpful. Uh, they, they could be right. They could be right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, um, but it's a bad look, I think, for Biden to come out and, and try and play down that uh, the country is, is in a recession and struggling right now. I think it's just a bad, a very bad look for him. It makes him look out of touch politically. And that's probably why a lot of Democrats don't want him to run in 2024. They think that uh, he looks out of touch, that he's too old. And when he goes out and says things like this, I think he only reinforces that impression.
4: But the thing is, uh, Jason, Everybody uh, in the administration saying it, whether it's Brian D, or Gina Raimondo, or Janet Yellen, they're all saying, "Well, non inflation, two back-to-back quarters of negative growth—that's not a recession." Well, it really is. No, it isn't. Look at the jobs. Okay, there's 11 million open jobs. Look at how low the numbers are. Okay, more America. I get it. So, but everybody else has got high inflation. Listen, nine percent inflation is helping everybody, but I just don't understand how this administration thinks it's to their benefit. To deny what we're experiencing and what we're experiencing is everything that we do costs more, whether you're flying on vacation, driving in the road or shopping in a supermarket. And I just find it unbelievable that guys been doing politics for this long would sign off on this strategy, which is don't believe what you see.
3: Right. And that's why the people who think that these are big victories for Biden, I think, could be mistaken, because I think when voters go to the polls, those gas prices are going to be what's on their mind. The fact that their earnings aren't going as far as they used to is going to be on their mind. And it's a bad look. You know, whether we're in a recession technically or on the cusp of a recession, uh, the fact of the matter is uh, the recovery is over. Brian, and this was a a, a rather strong recovery that the Biden administration inherited from the last administration, Uh, and it's bungled it. Uh, it, it, the Biden administration is dragging us back into the, in, the, in the 1970s again. And so that is their, that is their political problem, even if they're getting the this, this spending bill through. But it's not only uh, uh, bad politics. As you said, it's bad policy. Uh, the last thing we need right now with this economy is higher taxes, less corporate investment, and a, and a larger welfare state. When you have a labor shortage like we have right now, you, you don't want to give people incentives not to go back to work. And that's what increasing healthcare subsidies does uh, and and, and giving incentives to, to, to companies not to invest Not to hire. And and, and so it's bad politics and it's bad policy. And that's my concern.
4: So Senator Joe Manchin shocked everybody by having this bill ready to go. It wasn't a understanding. It wasn't a memo. It was a bill. It was all ready to go. Now, it's not clear if they're going to get all 50 Democratic senators. Cinema was blindsided by it. But Manchin had it done. But he says he didn't reverse his position. He was going to wait till after July, after July's inflation numbers were in, but he didn't. Cut three.
9: Oh, hell broke loose Thursday night. People thinking I've walked away and done this and that or I'm reversed my position. I've never reversed. I've never been in reverse in my lifetime and I never walked away.
4: Really? Uh, Riley Moore. By the way, I'm in awe of what Joe Manchin's done to this point. He stopped D.C. He stopped Puerto Rico from becoming a state. He stopped the filibuster from being blown up. He he stopped a lot of the political, uh, the, fil- the filibuster. And he also uh, stopped a lot of this climate agenda, the $4 trillion Build Back Better bill. So I appreciate that. But this just makes no sense, even to the West Virginia State Treasurer, Riley Moore. Cut five.
10: It is really disappointing, his support of this legislation with this tax on coal. And just to be clear, the coal operators aren't going to end up paying this tax. It's like all taxes that Democrats put forward. The consumer will. You already see energy prices rising right now. There's 14% increase in energy prices in this country, which has really driven that CPI number, the uh, number that we just saw come out as it relates to inflation. This is going to just pile more onto that. This is going to increase inflation. So I do have to say, It is disappointing to see that he is supporting this since we are a coal state.
4: And he does get some pipelines and he does get some more drilling. And he says they did open up federal land. I have not seen the details on this, but you know who else hasn't? Treasury. They don't know how it's going to inflect inflation. Jason Furman, a former Biden official, said it might inflect it, uh, affect it a little bit and bring it down a little bit. If you're not attacking inflation, Jason, I don't know what you're doing, but for the President of the United States right now, where do you think he is at uh as he gets set for this midterm as compared to where Barack Obama was?
3: Oh he's in a he's in a bad spot and, and, and uh and and I think his problem is that Uh, You know, the people around him, the Democratic Party has never particularly uh, fallen in love with, with Biden the way they had with Obama. So he's got people, you know, trying to stab him in the back already before the first midterms. And I don't think Obama had that that problem at this point in his presidency. So I think I think Joe Biden's in a in a tough spot right now in terms of Joe Manchin. You know, Brian, he reminded us this week that he's a Democrat. I mean, he's always been a Democrat. Um, he, he doesn't mind taxes. He doesn't mind spending. Uh, and he's going to cut deals to bring the pork back to his home state. You mentioned he's, he's, he's going to argue, uh, you know, I'm doing what's best for West Virginia. I'm going to get some permitting uh, later on. And, and so I can go along with this. I also think maybe the pressure has gotten to him, Brian. I mean, it's tough to be the punching bag of, of Washington, D.C. for as long as he had. He's really taken a lot of licks on this. And maybe he's just decided I've had enough. Um, and, and decide to cut a deal with, with, with Chuck Schumer.
4: Yeah, perhaps. Uh, we know Chuck Schumer seemed to have been surprised uh, when this thing was reinvigorated, I think, by Rokihana. Uh Quick thing, uh, just on what the president's doing, the thing that I find most disturbing because it's happening in real time, and that is the shedding of Hispanic votes for the Democratic Party and this president in particular. How did this happen, Jason, and do you believe it? Do you believe the majority of Hispanic voters are now signing with the Republican Party?
3: I don't know if it's a majority, but um, it doesn't need to be a majority to give, to give uh, the, the Democratic Party night sweats, right? They can't afford to lose very many of these voters. But why is it happening? It's happening because the Democratic Party has been much more focused on what the progressives in their ranks want. And that leaves out a lot of what uh, rank-and-file Democrats want. It's really a class issue. And Hispanics have, have been put in that mix. They're, they're, they're working class by and large and they they have not been the priority of the democratic party uh neither have a lot of black voters and so the party is 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 um is is seeing the ramifications of focusing on what their their more highly educated elite uh uh members want and and that's costing them uh rank and file working class uh voters like many Hispanics are
4: so just, uh, this just came across. And I want to share it with you. So the president spoke to President Xi of China for over two hours yesterday. But there's a difference on what they say was discussed. Uh, the president, uh, the president's spokesperson said that they discussed fentanyl and they discussed genocide uh, when it comes to the Uyghurs. Uh, and they discussed other things uh, for hotspots in the country, around the world, uh, and especially the trip by Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan. But now today, the Chinese foreign minister is pushing back, held a press conference to discuss the phone call and said basically that Karine Jean-Pierre was lying when she said yesterday's press conference uh, with President Biden raised genocide and forced labor practice by the PRC. He said, you mentioned that a White House spokesperson said the issue of genocide and forced labor, what Brent mentioned, that is false information I wonder what else is out there. And it seems to me I remember seeing a lot of important phone calls with transcripts released to the press. Are we ever going to get transcripts from this meeting? (laughs)
3: <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question i don't know although i would be reluctant to trust chinese state media on, on what was said i i, I wouldn't want to go want to go that far but you know in terms of pelosi and her visit i i hope she sticks to it i think it would be helpful uh to show support for taiwan there but if the biden administration really wants to get under chinese skin hit them where it hurts and that's economically reduce tariffs cut trade deals with places like Britain and Japan and others in the Asia Pacific that want to, you know, the U.S. is an alternative trading partner to China. That is how you get the attention of China ultimately. And I hope the Biden administration pushes for those. things.
4: All right. Go get him. Uh, Jason Riley. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the China challenge with a guy that knows this region well, as well as what's happened in the Ukraine. Go with his inside information, Admiral James Stravitas. Is there indeed a momentum change like we have not seen in months? you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.
2: Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
5: He wants an unprecedented third term. That itself is a you know change with Chinese constitutional and political tradition. He's got problems with COVID. He still hasn't come up with the formula because China doesn't have a active vaccine that works. Why not? Well, because they won't use anyone else's vaccine except their own because of Chinese nationalist pride. How could they depend on Western vaccines given the superiority, quote unquote, of the Chinese system? The problem is the Sinovac vaccine is not effective. So you have these lockdowns, which are causing tremendous hardship. Chinese economy. It isn't great. Look, for years and years and years, the Chinese Communist Party derived its legitimacy from one thing, double, double digit economic growth. The, the official numbers this year are five. The real numbers are probably three or something like that. China no longer has growth. They have massive youth unemployment. They have all sorts of demographic problems, the residue of the one China policy, real environmental uh, problems. You've got that on a long list. China faces all sorts of difficulties. They've got you know Steve Ratner can talk about it. They're very financial bubbles, terrible real estate investments. What they So what, are, what do they have left? So I think they're playing the nationalist card.
4: Yeah, and, but in a way, when you don't have to worry about popularity, just among the party, it's so much different. So you don't really mind if you, there's youth unemployment. In The big picture, it's a problem. It's going to be national arrest. When you got the guns, when you got the Army, uh, when people are afraid to speak out, now you have surveillance everywhere. I don't think that's an issue. But in terms of effectiveness, getting people working, think that is. And this is why I don't think the pandemic and the Wuhan virus was actually done intentionally, because it's really hurt China. You know, for the longest time, they were, they were ripping us in the West for not reacting strictly and, and harshly and clamping down on the virus. Now we're four variants in, and they're about a variant behind. And they're as you heard Richard Haas say— Their vaccines aren't effective. Ours are to a degree, but the variants make it tough. The boosters are still a step behind. And for the most part, China has one speed, and it is total lockdown. I was listening to some translation on BBC this morning. There were people that went out for food shopping and couldn't get back to their house. They say, well, and they're going through translation saying, I guess I just have to go walk the streets. But my feeling is... If the president's going to be on for two hours, it's got to be Uyghurs, it's got to be fentanyl. What about the Fed? Evidently, they're planting people outside the Fed to try to get them on the inside to see what the Fed policy is and start influencing it to tilt it towards China. They also want tariffs released. If they want tariffs released, how can they still want tariffs released at the same time say they're ineffective? So the president's got to come off strong. My fear is he didn't come off strong at all because he never has in the past. What about warning them about what's happening with Russia? They're single-handedly sustaining their ally when it comes to oil purchases even more than uh, even more than India is. John Radcliffe, he's been on all these discussions because he ran the DNI. He said this from what we know after the readouts on this two-hour conversation, Cut28. According
10: to the readout, Joe Biden told President Xi uh, that he opposed uh, any unilateral Efforts to change the status quo, President Xi was more direct. He promised a fiery death. He promised that those that play with fire set themselves on fire and would perish. Very clearly from that, it sounds like President Xi is playing hardball. President Biden is playing wiffle ball, and we've seen that
4: far too often. And when it comes to Nancy Pelosi going over to over to Taiwan, absolutely has to go. It would be great if a Republican went too. She invited Mike McCall. Evidently, he couldn't clear his schedule. He's she's going to be going soon. We don't have exact dates. Here's what General Jack Keane just told me on Fox and Friends. He said, "Listen, they didn't have a problem with this in the spring when it was announced. What's up now? Cut twenty-five.
7: For ten years, President Xi has been intimidating and coercing Taiwan to voluntarily capitulate and become a part of mainland China. All he's managed to accomplish in those ten years is stiffen the Taiwanese resolve not to do that." THEY BELIEVE IN TAIWAN AND THEY THINK OF THEMSELVES AS TAIWANESE. RIGHT.
4: HE GOES ON, CUT 27.
7: OH, YEAH, ABSOLUTELY. SHE HAS EVERY RIGHT TO BE THERE. Uh, LEADERS GO IN AND OUT OF THERE. ADMITTEDLY NOT AT THE LEVEL OF THE SPEAKERSHIP SINCE uh, Newt GINGRICH WAS THERE. But to back away from that would give President Xi a huge propaganda victory. Just going into the National Party Congress here in a few weeks where they're going to enshrine him for a third term. They want no embarrassment. They want nothing to deflect from that enshrinement. She needs to go. She said she was going to go. He's making a big stew about this. I mean, they announced this in April, but then she got COVID. There was no reaction from the Chinese. They're reacting now because it's much closer to his enshrinement here in several weeks.
4: So here we go uh, there. This is another challenge. Uh, almost a year to the day where they have to the week of Afghanistan and how weak we look there that led us, and I believe, to the Ukraine and how slow we were there that hopefully are now giving Ukraine the weapon systems they need to be able to fight because they're much better fighters than Russians and they're much more dedicated to this fight. They're fighting for their homeland and to their security, many of which uh, lost a lot of their loved ones in this war so far. I got this number. Get this. The Russians have lost, dead or wounded, 75,000 removed from the battlefield. 75,000. That's six times what we lost in Afghanistan in 20 years. Admiral James Stravitis on that and more. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad
8: you're here.
2: From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
7: We're hoping this could be the beginning of taking back more territory as the Russians have reached a culminating point, ex- exhausting themselves, their people and their equipment in the Donbass region. It's unlikely they'll be able, the Russians will be able to take that whole region. The Ukrainians are right. They see the vulnerability and they're taking advantage of it.
4: And there you go. Uh, General Jaquin says, like the New York Times echoed, that perhaps as a momentum change in the battlefield, they have not. There's not been a lot of Russian ground gain since July 2nd. Some of that's intentional, because we understand that they're they're reconfiguring, they're recalibrating, they're rearming, uh, and I guess establishing their new commanders in the field. But is momentum changing with these HIMARS and some of the equipment we've given them? Admiral James Stravitas joins us now, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, author of some recent book, The Sailor's Bookshelf, and 2034, a novel of the next world war, which involves uh, China. Also, uh, to risk it all, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. Admiral, welcome back. Is there momentum change, or is that <clears throat> overstated?
11: You know, I feel it, uh, just like General Jack does. Um, and, and I'll give you two things that really are telling. One is this, quote, operational pause has gone on too long to the military eye. Um, They should have been able to change out much faster. Think the way uh, NASCAR pit stop, you know, that's pretty quick. Um, This is dragging on and on. Part of it is uh, the old commanders have all been fired. They're bringing in new commanders. That's never good for a military organization. And the second is, this is really concerning if you're sitting in the Kremlin you're running out of manpower. Um, there are many indications that they are uh, pulling up uh, individuals who are coming out of jails to go serve on the front lines. Um, they are pulling people out of, uh, out of day-to-day activities in Russia and just jamming them into the military. Um, a lot of indicators that they have not gone yet to a full-scale national conscription, a draft, but I think that's really telling. And then the second point, Brian, You nailed it. It's the not just the HIMARS, these very precise long-range rockets that can reach back to the uh, Russian logistic wellheads, but it's the day-to-day stuff. It's the howitzers, the ammunition, the the wave after wave of this. Got to be very discouraging if you're on the Russian side. So, how are the Ukrainians taking advantage? Um, they're going to move south. They're going to look at this town called Kherson, which is the gateway, if you will, to Crimea. Um, that would be a huge symbolic and a pretty important tactical victory if they can retake Kherson puts real pressure on Vladimir Putin. How far I think the, things are shifting on the battlefield. Admiral,
4: but how far are they? I heard they have made progress, but they didn't want to talk about much of it. Also, they it, I think it's the 39th it, Army or 35th Army of the Russia. Uh, that seem to be trapped right now because it looks like Ukraine took out the bridges for their resupply?
11: Yeah, both correct. And uh, this is a very significant potential development because, again, it goes back to logistics. If you can't supply that army in the field effectively, it withers and dies like a grape on a vine in the hot summer. They've really got a challenge down there. And the... uh, the momentum at the moment. I don't want to overstate any of this, Brian, but I do feel a shift in the battlefield.
4: So let's talk about China. Uh, from the readout uh, on the pre- for the president, they seem to have discussed a lot about they do not want Nancy Pelosi to go over to Taiwan. General Jack Keen just said, listen, this thing was out there in April. They didn't say a word. This is about his reelection or, or coronation. Uh, should, should the speaker be going over there? And why is the Defense Department backing her off?
11: Um, The election, if you will, since we know there are no free, fair elections in uh, China, the anointing of this uh, President Xi is for him to become the for a third five year term. That's unprecedented since the days of Mao and maybe of Deng Xiaoping. So it would elevate uh, Xi to the highest level in the post World War II pantheon of Chinese leaders, so he takes that very seriously, and he is posturing to his base, his domestic audience, uh, trying to play tough guy here. In terms of the speaker going over, you know, I'm kind of of two minds on that one, Brian. First and foremost, no, we should not let China have a veto over who goes to Taiwan. I've gone to Taiwan. I've met with Madame Tsai, the president of Taiwan, Uh, but I'm not the currently seated speaker of the house. Um, That is a pretty high order visit and the Pentagon, I wouldn't say they're backing her off, but I think what they're doing quite correctly is telling her there's risk. There's risk, particularly as you run into this election period. So it's a choice and it, it is something, I don't think the president is gonna mandate the speaker cannot go. He doesn't really have the authority to do that. I suspect quietly he's pushing for her not to go to the island. Um, And bottom line in all this, Brian, it's going to inflame tensions to a higher level, particularly in the run up Uh, to this election.
4: Admiral, you spent decades in the Navy. You know this area. So having said all that, I would say it makes us look so weak and makes our allies so worried if the speaker backs out now. We need somebody on the ground there because Taiwan is legitimately under threat. I'd like her to hear what exactly they need to successfully defend themselves and to come back. We cannot allow them to dictate what ally we visit.
11: Yeah, I'll I'll put it this way, Brian. Um, Her visit will create increased tensions. But if you want to create increased deterrence, they don't need a visit from the Speaker of the House. You know, to steal a phrase from President Zelensky, when we offered him a ride out of Kyiv at the start of that conflict, Zelensky said, I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. I think that's the approach we ought to be taking, focusing on getting, if you will, these kind of high-end systems like The HIMARS equivalent at sea, because in this case, it's going to be a seaborne invasion. So what the Taiwanese need are smart mines, long-range anti-ship cruise missiles, um, better and more capable cyber. All of that, which, by the way, they're a rich country. They can afford easily to buy that from us. That would make a lot of sense to make those kind of offers. That's where I'd like to see the conversation. shift. But,
4: but you know that every time you back off, it's looked at as weakness, not a mature, calculated decision. And if they're able to do this and spot, stop the speaker from coming, I, the precedent would be just terrible. We're supposed to be the superpower in the area. I don't know why the speaker made this trip. I don't agree with her a lot of times, but I agree with this boldness here. And then know that President Biden and she's not going to go in there and undercut President Biden. You know that the risk would be if there was a Republican president, a Democratic speaker going over there. You worry about two messages. But, you know, she's not going to give two messages.
11: No. And I think here is some good news, which is there's broad agreement here across the political spectrum of the challenges that China presents. There is broad agreement across the spectrum that we need to support this democracy, the island of Taiwan. There is broad agreement that technologically China is accelerating ahead of us. That's why I, for one, am strongly in favor of the CHIPS Act, which passed yesterday, which gets into this idea of competing and making up. Um, the ground we 've lost against China, so there 's broad consensus there and no i don 't worry that um, we 're going to have a mixed messages in Taiwan and as I said up front, uh, we can 't let China dictate right. who goes that 's a fact
4: so uh, so from what we know um, from the outsider perspective, it seems they have a huge problem with youth unemployment. It looks like in their effort to make things more equitable in their society. They stopped a lot of their entrepreneurs from flourishing, stopped a lot of the momentum with young men and women being able to intern for some of these up and coming companies. So as they try to rein in the Jack Ma's of the world, they have lost maybe a generation of future business leaders. On top of that, this this zero COVID policy locking down entire cities. The latest one, Wuhan, a million under lock and key in 48 hours. I sense that this is no small problem with the uh, domestically with China.
11: Yeah, China is not 10 feet tall. Uh, in addition to the excellent points you just made, I'll just add that they have been in the process of really undercutting their environment. They have uh, massive pollution problems. Um, they have an overheated housing and construction market that if it truly collapsed – could make the the Great Recession here of 0809 look like a walk in the park, um, and they have very few allies around the world as well. That's why they're kind of clinging to this relationship with Russia. So I I would not want the hand of cards that President Xi has, and I'll make the point that when they look across the Taiwan Strait at Taiwan, they see a vibrant democratic society, highly entrepreneurial. Um, That is another reason they don't like Taiwan. It it serves as an example of everything they are not in favor of.
4: And am I wrong that they think they'll take it as easy as they did Hong Kong? Do they understand or do you think they should understand that there'll be a fight
11: there? Um, I think that they are watching what's happening in Ukraine. And President Xi has got to be asking himself three questions in regard to taking Taiwan militarily. Number one. Are my generals as bad as these Russian generals appear to be? Don't forget, Brian, they were all trained in the same war colleges. They've operated together. They all come out of the Soviet communist model. Number two, he's asking himself, "Hmm, I wonder if those Taiwanese will fight like hell the way the Ukrainians are. As I said earlier, I've been to Taiwan, I've met Madame Tsai. There's not a lot of quit in that Taiwanese society, in my view. And number three, he's asking himself, Wow. Pretty surprising how well the West has hung together here. Um, and he knows China at the end of the day is too big to completely sanction. But could we go after sectors that would really hurt him economically by sanctions? The answer is yes. So I think all of what's happening in Ukraine actually will have a a chilling effect, not a permanent one, but it's going to slow down any impetus toward uh, an adventure on Taiwan by the Chinese. in At,
4: my opinion. Admiral, as you know, I think the, the Ukraine uh, battle for them to be successful is extremely <laughs> important to us. A lot of people do. But the one thing that could undermine this effort is corruption with the execution uh, of getting arms and money to the right people. How concerned yes. are you that we get it to <laughs> Poland, we get it to neighboring countries and we lose total track?
11: I'm very concerned, Brian, and I say that um, as I look at our recent history, particularly in Afghanistan, uh, but also in Iraq. And these are failures um, that cut across all administrations, Democratic and Republican. We constantly tend to ascribe to our allies in the field the same kind of – Moral, legal, ethical constraints that we bring to a contracting process—that's just not the case in much of Eastern Europe. So, um, I applaud those who are pushing hard for real accountability on these systems. But you what could do it if I, I put you with- in
4: charge, Admiral. You would—you would set up those systems. You could do this, right? <laughs>
11: Yes, and uh, any number of others could. Um, I'll tell you someone else who'd be terrific at this is H.R. McMaster, the former National Security Advisor to President Trump. He, as a one star, was on my team in Afghanistan working on corruption. He knows how hard this is. Um, He could bring the right tools to the table. He understands the government uh, on our side intimately and he's extremely moral and ethical
4: all right well we've we just put a good uh we, you have gave him a game of good backing there <laughs> tell him to get his resume ready we try to get it well, to the administration you know, Brian,
11: the minute the minute you proposed me doing that i had to come up with
4: something <laughs> <feel like> <laughs> yeah you know yeah you want to you want to be listening to wokv all day in jacksonville you do not want to be in a ukraine right now uh, you've done you've done your time admiral thanks so much
11: Great, Brian. Thanks a lot. Talk soon. You
4: got it. Uh, When we come back, I'll take your calls. 1-866-408-7669. Also about the recession. I mean, the president says, I looked at the math. I looked at the job numbers. We're not in it. Well, what do you think? I don't care about what the numbers said. Forget about the negative GDP over the last two months and traditional metrics. What's your metrics? Back in a moment.
2: Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade
6: Show. Obviously, the most rate sensitive parts of the economy due to what the Fed is trying to achieve and and slowing down the economy and getting on more sound footing, mortgages and car loans and things like that have slowed down.
4: But if we look at the consumer side, uh, much like uh, Brian commented on, uh, we're seeing a
7: slowdown in consumer.
4: So... And it's intentional. And this is what I always have to look at code when it comes to these economists. We want to slow down the economy. We want to get people to spend. We want to incentivize people to save. We want to get people to buy new. So I get that with tax breaks and tax incentives and discounts. But what I think what they're trying to do is slow down the housing by upping the interest rates. What they're trying to do is make things uh, high enough where people stop buying. So then the prices go down. But That is also affecting all of you. I can't buy it today. I can't go shopping now. I can't go on vacation because the demand is so high. So rather than increase the supply, what we do is we try to throttle the consumer. And that's the code they're looking at. That's when they use these terms that are supposed to confuse us. They don't. I mean, even I can figure it out. So- when we people go around and go, you know, things seem to have slowed. I, I have a restaurant and people aren't coming as much. I have a dry cleaner and people aren't using as much. And, you know, I have an ice cream stand and I got to close my doors or crime has gotten so bad, I got to close my Starbucks. So there's a few factors out there. So you have the president of the United States. If you are in a situation where things are challenging economically and you have the president not acknowledging it, to me, it's extremely frustrating. Here's the pre- – and I, I, I hesitate on, on having a 30-second soundbite with the president because he struggles so much with every sentence. But here's what he chooses to say. Instead of saying the GDP is negative growth and here's
6: why, this is what he says. Cut 13. I want to say two things about the GDP report we received this morning. First, it's important to start with what we know before this morning's report. Our job market remains historically strong. Our economy created more than 9 million jobs since I came to office, in no small part because the people on this stage. Our economy created more than 1 million jobs in the second quarter, the same period as today's GDP report covers. And Our unemployment rate is 3.6 percent, near a record historic low.
4: You notice he didn't talk anything about the GDP, and it affects the overall growth of the economy, what it means down the future. He's talking about things he wants to talk about, and that is 9 million jobs created. But, Mr. President, we all know that we're in a pandemic, and people were paid to stay home because we did not know the, the letha, lethality of this Wuhan flu that the Chinese perpetrated on us. We couldn't even get a straight answer on how it came here and what it actually could do and how we actually prevent it. That's a whole nother story, but to take credit for nine million jobs, knowing the economy was getting back on track, what I'd be saying is, if we got our supply chain up, we'd be able to bring in all goods quicker, that would be with demand remains the same, and the supply was increased. Logic would tell you that's the best way with a market economy to bring down inflation and to be clear, inflation is up around the world, and Japan is ridiculously low two point eight But we're basically leading Canada, Germany, the U.K., and almost every member of the G7 in inflation, not in small part to the spending, which you just added to over the last two days to the tune of $800 billion. You can't blame the average American for being nervous.
2: From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Again, hearing some good uh, news. Ukraine might be getting a little bit momentum back, and I think that is why maybe Zelensky was doing so much press. I don't think it was a good move to do the, and I'm sure you don't either, to do the Vogue cover. That was ridiculous and embarrassing. But I do think it was great that he did the Pierce Morgan Town Hall over the weekend. They did the interview. He has to. And the First Lady coming here, he has to stay. He has to say front and center uh, with the West. Uh, Kurt uh, Schlichter will be with us at the bottom of the hour. He's a senior columnist for Town Hall and a trial lawyer. He's got a book out called We'll be back. The Fall and Rise of America. And that's who we're in the middle of, uh, believe it or not, a rise. So we have a lot to discuss. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's
5: Big Three. Number three. If there's any inflaming going on, it's coming from China's side. This is taking place within the context of existing policy. So I really think this is much more about Chinese domestic politics than it is about American foreign policy.
4: Well, there he goes. Uh, President Biden and Xi talked for two-plus hours, what was said and what wasn't, and why. It's more important than ever that the Speaker Visit Taiwan. We'll find out sometime within our show if she'll go.
7: Number two.
6: Both Chairman Powell... And many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. Reality in recession.
4: Not the right words to describe what the administration is spouting on the economy, even though the reality
7: is we're in a recession.
6: Number one. And you know what
7: you got? $850 billion just in the last two days in new spending. That is going to make the recession worse and the inflation higher.
4: That is Larry Kudlow. Joe and Joe get to, but poison the bipartisan well for good as Chip's bill sells. And then a stunning 700 page bill appears, bursting with tax increases in climate projects. $850 billion spent in about 48 hours. So there's a, a lot out there, and a lot was done. Will it help the economy? Will it help the country? Will it help President Biden's political fortunes? Uh, let's bring in Jackie Heinrich, White House correspondent extraordinaire. Jackie, welcome.
12: Hey, good morning to you, Brian.
4: Hey, Jackie, first off, I just find it, it kind of weird, uh, the, the the approach this administration has. Not look at the numbers and here's what I spin it. It's don't look at the look at the numbers, but here's what you shouldn't read into it. Almost telling you... What the reality is, even though we know the reality traditionally has been we're in a recession and he could easily say, I'm in a recession, but here's the good part. But he says we're not in a recession. And here's the good part. Do you find that strange?
12: Yeah, it also just seems a little bit unnecessary because they could easily, you know, avoid all of this blowback by just saying, look, You know, these numbers, two consecutive quarters of negative growth, that, you know, constitutes a recession under the common definition of the word. He's got his own economic advisors on record using that definition of a recession as recently as May. And yet they are rejecting this definition, uh, which they don't have to do. They could just say, look, we see this as, you know— Obviously not good, but there are other parts of the economy that are doing well, and so therefore we don't feel like this is going to continue on this trend, whatever. But they have decided instead to pick a word battle, uh, really as a distraction, I think, to, you know, the bigger problem at hand, which is that we're on this, you know, downward slope, basically.
4: So let's talk about those two bills that passed. First, the CHIPS bill. Would that have passed if the Republicans knew that Manchin and Schumer had another reconciliation package ready to go?
12: So I I think that it would have, and maybe I'm the outlier on this, but, you know, this is an initiative that really started with Republican Senator Todd Young in the Senate trying to, you know, make the U.S. more competitive against China. This has had broad bipartisan support uh, through its different iterations. It was, you know, New Frontiers, and then it was USICA, and then it was CHIP. So this has been an effort that's been ongoing for months. Um, however, you know, I think that the stunt that Manchin pulled really does, you know, imperil other initiatives. Like for instance, Kirsten Cinema was working to whip uh GOP votes on the gay marriage bill and after Mansion pulled this fast one and announced this reconciliation deal. All of the Republicans who were going to vote for chips were already on record with their leadership saying that they were going to you know vote that way and It's hard to go back on your word for something that's so broadly bipartisan. but now you've got you know this this gay marriage bill in the Senate, and folks who were duped by Mansion uh, telling cinema who had been working to garner support for this. I don't know if we want to work with, you know, with you guys on this bill right now. The timing isn't just – it just isn't necessary. They're going to push it off until uh, September, and who knows what will happen then. But it certainly imperiled the trajectory for the gay marriage bill, which now fuels, you know, this vulnerability that the White House, if they don't pull it off – could be seen as sacrificing gay marriage for climate spending and a reconciliation deal. And then also, you know, the indication with the burn pits legislation failing unexpectedly in the Senate right after um, the Manchin-Schumer deal was announced, that sort of shows how Republicans feel about being duped.
4: Yeah, uh, because you wouldn't think on the surface they'd have a problem with the veterans bill, but they said there's too much room there to add in other spending that has nothing to do with it. Was that a bit was that disingenuous?
12: For was disingenuous for the Republicans? Yes. To say that? I mean, I don't, I, I don't know that it was. I, I think that this was, you know, a, a vote to advance the bill in during which period, you know, there would be more debate over it, and I think that they just stopped that process down. Um, not to say it's not going to come back up. It obviously upset a lot of veterans. John Stewart was on the Hill yesterday, saying that this is just, you know, a, a really disappointing move from them. Um, but there's nothing to say that the the veterans bill was going to get final passage necessarily, um, you know, this week.
4: Uh, Jackie Heinrich, our guest, coming to you from the White House. So I want. So we, I was surprised uh, that there were so many other Democrats surprised that this deal was done. Evidently, Roquehanna had a big movement uh, in getting Schumer to re-engage with Joe Manchin, who swears he never left the table, even though he's on record saying, I'm going to wait to the July inflation numbers before I commit to anything. Here's what he said yesterday. Cut four.
9: people saying, why didn't you wait for the inflation figures? Because I know I'm not adding to inflation.
11: How do you know, Senator, Uh, who who told you that you're not adding to inflation? I mean, was this a Larry Summers discussion? Was there some analysis from the White House Tell you that?
9: I've had discussions with people that we've been trusted on the same people that work with me on saying inflation trust me joe inflation will not be transitory this thing is going to blow up wide this long this is not going to be transitory okay so I went against that grain by the same people who've been advising me all along
4: So that is, he says, it wouldn't add to inflation. What I found interesting in the New York Times today, they say Treasury hasn't even run the test to see if it would uh, decrease or increase inflation. But I guess he has his own people that were going to do this. Do you think he felt a lot of pressure? I almost felt he was relishing the moment because he knew West Virginia had his back. What is your impression, Jackie?
12: Yeah, you know, I was really surprised to hear that Manchin and Schumer had been huddling quietly. You know, Manchin had been getting such great approval ratings uh, in his state and a lot of praise from Republicans for stopping down what they see as, you know, spending that has contributed to this inflation problem. And Manchin was seen as sort of, you know, the Democrat saving the Democrats from themselves on that front. Um, I think that there has been probably a lot of pressure coming from the White House and the Democratic Party to get Manchin in line to hand Biden some kind of a win, to hand Democrats some kind of a win before the midterms. Uh, who knows how, you know, this, this bill is going to shake out with the parliamentarian having to go through through all the various provisions, and it's possible that it doesn't even end up happening because these discussions between Manchin and, and Schumer did not involve Kirsten Cinema, and the Democrats need her vote to get on board, and they've really kind of upset her by leaving her out of this process, and, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, with it kind of undermining all of her efforts with other legislation like the gay marriage bill. So who knows whether is going to get on board, she has been notably quiet about, you know, whether or not she intends to support it. And also notable, the White House is not willing to say whether or not they've spoken with her. So I think that the announcement from Schumer and Manchin was sort of an effort by the Dems to squeeze her, because in the past, they've never been able to get Manchin and Cinema on board for the same thing. Getting it through the Senate's one thing, and then it has got to go over to the House. I mean, this is a long way from done. But it was certainly a shock that Manchin, you know, made this move because he looked like he was sitting pretty for the last several months, uh, stopping down any more spending.
4: And I, I just wonder how many people like uh, Senator Masto, Senator Hassan, Senator Kelly, who were in tough fights and maybe might not be looked at favorably if they signed on to an $800 billion combined spending bill or Whatever it ends up being,
12: yeah, it, it definitely has the potential for blowback. I mean, when you've had the criticism of this administration tied to its spending, uh, you've, you're going to have that claim with this one. I think that they, the White House, is making the claim that this reduces the deficit. Blah blah blah. I mean, we'll see if that actually ends up happening. But at the end of the day, you know, there, this is more spending. And who knows if it's actually going to, uh, you know, decrease inflation like they're branding it uh, to, to do. This is a climate and health care deal, and they're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act because they're so aware, the Democrats, that they are on their heels over this economy, on their heels over inflation. And they're just telling us this is going to have, an, you know, a reduction to inflation and re- reduction to the deficit. We'll see, you know, time might tell a different story.
4: Absolutely. And Jackie, I don't think there's much on the schedule today. What does the White House have you doing?
12: Nothing really at the White House today. You know, I think that there's a lot of behind the scenes effort right now uh, between White House officials and the Hill. They've got about a week left before they go into recess. And that's... Really, seen as the last big work period before the midterms ramp up. So I think that they're trying to close this deal on reconciliation uh, behind the scenes. They're, you know, they're also working on this police policing bill uh, for vulnerable Democrats. Who've been trying to sort of distance themselves from the defund crowd. Uh, they're trying to get a couple of those points done this week. And so Biden's trying to close those deals. We'll see if, if he can pull it off, but he has not been, uh, you know, engaged very much. And we thought also just harkening back to the infrastructure, you know, bill a few months ago, Biden went to the Hill a couple of times and was unable to get his, his own party in line the first couple of times they tried to pass his big agenda. So um, unclear how, how involved he's going to be personally or how much weight officials are pulling behind the scenes on his behalf.
4: And lastly, do you think Nancy Pelosi is going to announce today that she is going to Taiwan?
12: I don't think she's going to announce it, but I think it's pretty clear she's going. I mean, she invited Michael McCall, the ranking member on the uh, House Foreign, uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, to accompany her. I think she also invited the Democrats. It's pretty clear she's going to go. But I think announcing it is a different story because you don't want to create a security situation I and mean, U.S. military is already positioning ships and fighter jets to give her layers of protection on the air and or in the air and on the ground if she goes, but I don't think we're going to know about it until she's already there.
4: I worry you out today, Jackie. I got you on TV, got you on radio. You're, you're going <laughs> to, you should just take the rest of the day off and not take my calls anymore.
12: <laughs> you know what? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tell Fox that you said I can go home now. Thank you so much. You got it. I got just, <laughs> uh,
4: just, uh, I'll just send me over a form. I'll fill it out and I'll email it back to you. Or are all fax thanks, it. Brian. You got it, Jackie Heinrich, Thanks so much. Listen, when we come back, I want to hear what you have to say. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. And then we're uh, we're going to talk about bringing America back. Uh, Kurt Schlichter's here, and uh, and we'll talk about the other challenges that are straight ahead. And we did not even discuss. We have not even discussed at length uh, this hour anyway. Some of the poll numbers that are coming in on some of the key Senate races from Pennsylvania to Georgia. And remember, I spent all of Wednesday and. Tuesday and Wednesday with Herschel Walker. I got a chance to, to see his setup, to understand what he understands about the issues, see the challenges straight ahead. I'll reveal some of that, and also we're going to have an exclusive unedited version of the interview that you won't even see on TV. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, here at first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Biden has been there pushing, trying to get uh, something done on climate. He promised he'd get it done. It's going to get done. He's been pushing to get something done on uh, uh, the chips and, and the semiconductors. So, listen, if you just erase the past six months of nutty stuff, it looks like you've got a president to get an infrastructure bill done, get COVID stuff done. Uh, get something done for the American people on climate, get something done on chips. That's a successful presidency. You just, you know, have the past six months of nonsense that uh, takes away from it.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure what he means by the nutty and nonsense stuff. You mean underperforming as a communicator, underperforming as a policy coordinator, underperforming in the far, on the foreign stage. Even in Ukraine, there's still a, a very slow lag time between execution. And Van Jones, he's like David Axelrod. And Karl Rove on the right and Newt Gingrich on the right. You pretty much, they they don't look to somebody else's talking points. They have great instincts for their party. And and obviously, Van Jones, a liberal guy. I can't believe that the president of the United States keeps bragging about climate. I brought up climate with China. I have climate all over this new package. Really? If you look at the top 10 things that people are concerned about in every poll, the Fox News poll that just came out, uh, the poll that came out with Reuters, the Quinnipiac poll. Climate change is like 2% of the population thinks it's their priority. Inflation is about, uh, about 40%. And then you got gas prices. But inf- climate's all at the bottom. I'm all for doing the mature thing and always trying to re- bring technology forward and trying to make the, uh, that electric car as efficient as the gas-powered car and make it a good option. But now they have all money that we don't have, putting subsidies for cars that we can't get. I'm not sure that's progress. And we know that wind and solar are supplements, but they can't be primary driver of energy. And we are not addressing the problem when it comes to getting rid of these batteries and solar panels, which I think we're out in about 20 years, and that's where we're pretty much at right now. So leading us to the conclusion that I'm not sure this chip bill, I understand there's, there's a big push to bring manufacturing here. It's too bad it's got to be a government program to do it. But in terms of the CHIP bill and the mansion bill, this is with Senator Rob Portman, who is the utter definition of a moderate and deep thinker in the Senate and a former OMB director for George Bush. Ohio, of course, WHO listeners know him. He's the Ohio senator. Cut seven.
11: My concern with what the Democrats announced yesterday is that it would be terrible for the economy right now. It's bad for... Workers, it's bad for customers, it's bad for American companies, it puts them at a disadvantage
7: compared to our, our foreign competitors um, in China, in Europe, elsewhere. So it's just bad policy. I mean, it's a, it's a minimum tax that's going to be
5: applied to businesses over a certain level.
4: And he says it's bad policy, and he looked at it and he sees how much it's going to cost. And what you're doing is raising rates on the, on the high earners as well as corporate taxes again. And what happens when corporate taxes go up, the prices of their goods go up, and maybe people they don't hire, we finally made ourselves competitive with the Trump tax plan. And I know that that is easy pickings for Democrats to say, look how far we dropped it. Let's bring it up again. But what happens is, since we dropped it into the 20s, we got bringing it up again instead of bringing it down to what Ireland's doing. Then we become less competitive, and manufacturers have another reason to keep it overseas. And just because you think you're bringing up more revenue doesn't mean the companies don't react to this new tax rate, they decide they're going to stay put or sell less. That's what that's what President Obama never understood about Obamacare. When we come back to Kurt Schlichter joins us in studio. Brian Kilmeade.
2: The more you listen. The more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: Boy, they haven't—they haven't met a war they won't sign up for, and they haven't met a veteran they won't screw over. And now they say, "Well, this will get done, maybe on the uh, after we get back from our summer recess, because they're on Senate time." Do you understand? You live around here. Senate time is ridiculous. These b- live to two hundred. They live forever and they never lose their jobs and they never lose their benefits and they never lose all those things. Well, they're not on Senate time. They're on human time, cancer time.
4: And that is John Stewart going over the veterans bill that goes on hold now uh, because the Republicans said there's provisions in it that allows them to put additional money unrelated to veteran spending in. John Stewart going about for veterans laudable. Uh, but Pat Toomey said, I'm standing, you know, who, by the way, is leaving at the end of the year. I'm standing up to stop this bill. We just spent $800 billion. Uh, have, one was, Bill, half of that, two-thirds of that was passed without any Republican votes. And now this veterans bill, he said he's had enough, seen enough. John Stewart says doesn't care about that and said what he just said. Kurt Schlichter joins us now, senior columnist for Town Hall, uh, Los, uh, Los Angeles trial lawyer, and a retired Army infantry lieutenant colonel and author of We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. Kurt, first off, before we get into this, just your response to this veterans bill, a lot of this has to do with getting uh, immediate health care to people that were un- uh, un- unknowingly poisoned by these burn pits, it seems, in uh, in Iraq specifically.
13: Well, look, I was a Desert Storm veteran. And uh, after 9-11, I went to Kosovo. But I, I am familiar with uh, uh, the whole issue. I
4: have friends who are suffering from burn pit exposure. So it's real. Oh, oh it, it, absolutely real. So we put uh, all a bunch uh, of things into pits, uh, and we uh, burned uh, these toxic material, and people would buy it, and they get these crazy cancers. Oh, and they and they did around me, too, back in the Gulf. I mean, they, you
13: you would just see these giant burning piles of garbage and human waste. And, and we, we do it? It's, 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 oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I it, you know— it, it, it's the year it was the year 2000 and we're still doing this stuff which I, I i just find insane uh these veterans have to be taken care of the question is is this particular bill the vehicle to do it is there some provision in there where the democrats can slide in a bunch of unrelated spending pat toomey says there is uh john stewart who's not a senator and says there isn't, I'd like to know. What's the answer? Yeah, we, I
4: mean, we have not read the bill no, in I particular. But uh, but the thing is, what happens is they poisoned the well, with just happened with Manchin and Schumer. So they've been this chips bill, and it was yes. somewhat controversial because it's government spending to get manufacturing back here to build chips, which is a national security issue, clearly got it. So, But it was originally brought up by a Republican, understood. So they debate this, and next thing you know, this brand-new bill is put in front of you, and they don't want one Republican vote. And the chips bill, they would have held that off yep. in order to stop the spending bill, which is climate change and agenda items, does have some fossil fuel provisions. I don't know the details, but even Democrats didn't know the details. That creates such distrust.
13: Well, there should be distrust. They they got played. Uh, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell's losing a few steps. He was the best parliamentary leader Maybe in American history. I mean he was so good and we owe him greatly for keeping uh, Merrick Garland, who is a disgrace, from being on the Supreme Court. Uh, that being said, uh, this gun compromise thing from uh, uh, a few weeks ago. You didn't like it. Oh my – god. What, what did not you like about it? Uh, that it was a gun compromise. The Second Amendment is the Second Amendment. No one – in the Republican Party, got sent to Washington to limit our right to keep and bear arms. Well,
4: what about 18-year-olds going to the background check of an 18-year-old to stop the next Buffalo lunatic or the next Yuvaldi lunatic before you bought a look, gun?
13: everybody gets background checks.
4: No, but not for 16-year-olds because you're well, a Gita Well, 16-year-olds. Well, that was for, one of for, the provisions. That
13: was one of the provisions. And look, that is a fine provision.
4: That lunatics but, in 11th grade walking around saying, I'm going to kill everybody. Oh, yeah. I, I, and,
13: and, and which— you know, Brian, inevitably we find out that either the police or the FBI or both were
4: familiar with these guys. But uh, well, the gun shop owner wasn't because he only he said well, that. Him. that yeah. That's true. And I think uh, uh, I think uh, by- I kind of like that. I like the fact that you didn't yeah. raise
13: the age, but they're going to look at the background. Well, well, look, that's fine. And that's that's reasonable and, and not crazy. Uh, the uh, red flag laws, on the other hand. Uh, The kind of minority report pre-crime thing I have a huge problem with. I am a great believer in the Constitution. I spent 26, 27 years in uniform, uh, active in reserve, defending the Constitution. I'm a lawyer. I take it very seriously. And when you start saying, well, you know, they're they're only 18. We're not going to let them buy guns, but we'll let them go to war. I had had 17-year-olds in my platoon Mm -hmm. when I was in Desert Storm. Uh, Then I have a really big problem with it. And no Republican – was sent to Congress to vote for gun control, so I I have a huge problem with that. I think it was a misstep on McCle- McConnell's part. Uh, he got played by Schumer, and if you get played by Schumer, Schumer's not you know Schumer's not like a genius. Well, he, he sent Cornyn he, there. Oh, Cornyn.
4: Well, of Texas, Cornyn. he was senator the there, so that's who he represented. And that's what he got. Yeah, he got that, that was Cornyn's liked.
13: big play to show that you know I'm next in line after McConnell goes because McConnell's what ninety eight years old or something. Uh, I don't know how long he's going to be around, but the, right. uh, but you know, Cornet destroyed his credibility with the hardcore Republicans. It's just, he's just it's just
4: gone. Well, uh, we'll we'll see what's going to happen. I'm sure this is his last term. That's one thing, whether Republican yes. or not. I mean, he's 80. Yeah, he's they or, or old. something. Yeah, I mean, Which it's is another problem.
13: We need a new James generation. James Clyburn,
4: Nancy Pelosi. Oh my! Gosh. I mean, they're they're absolutely ancient, and not putting away for people listening to us right now might be that age. And I'll tell you what, I would take anybody I mentioned over President Biden because President Biden not just old. He's old for his age, and he's 79. Yeah, but Biden's
13: a mess, and I, I, I think people are becoming free to say it. They didn't want to say they do not want to be mean or they didn't want to undercut their party. Uh, now they see that there's a real problem with this guy. This guy okay. is not a leader, and he's not capable of performing the job.
4: Okay, so a couple of things. Let's uh, shift to China. You said our military was once great. When?
13: well look i 've got the new book out, and I talk about it in great detail, and we 'll be back the Fall and rise of America. Uh, I was there at the pinnacle of American power at the time and place february 1991, the victory in the Gulf War. The United States had just wiped out an entire nation 's army not just, not just one little battle right like a, not like a Hannibal taking out one arm I mean an entire army again, across a whole a whole country in one hundred hours. We were absolutely dominant. Uh, diplomatically, economically, uh, militarily, no one could challenge us. We were at our peak. We didn't know it at that time, but we started acting like it. And you know, we saw the book, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the end of history and the last man comes out. We've established liberal democracy. History won't change. We're we're at the end state. And of course, history keeps rolling on, Brian, as you well know. So, history cannot be stopped.
4: So after nine eleven, we're back in action. But
13: well, after nine eleven. Uh, we are back in action, and we're very powerful, and, but we're not thinking strategically, and we're not thinking things through. And, and that's not just happening in the military sense, not, in the, not only in the foreign policy sense, but culturally. We ha- what has this generation of leadership given us? I mean, yeah, the World War II generation, right? They beat Hitler. They beat the Depression. Pretty impressive. The uh, 60s generation, they do civil rights, and they put a man on the moon. Hugely impressive. What's what's our generation do? Iraq, Wall Street meltdown, <laughs> grinder. This is not an accomplished generation. These are cultural trust fund babies, Brian, who inherited a culture
4: and inherited a superpower and have been squandering it ever since. So, if you see the way we adapted in the battlefield in Iraq, if you see, I think Rumsfeld's first instinct was not to have a big foot for Afghanistan, get in and yep. get out. Slow to get the 82nd in, allowing Bin yep. Laden to get out, huge mistake. But the way we went in, I think people were in awe of. I remember meeting oh, with who brought Barack, and he's saying, "You're going to be in Afghanistan in a while. It's going to take a while to get the Taliban." It was taken out in what ten days, you know, the Taliban. Was oh yeah, burned. they were
13: rendered combat ineffective, and it wasn't with a huge footprint. This was a lot of special operations, using a lot of spokes, those guys, uh, and, and air power. And, and you got to understand how hard this was because Afghanistan is way in the middle of the uh, Eurasian landmass it's you know you've got to go a long way and we managed to do that we have incredible power but we have an incredible lack of strategic vision i'm a graduate of the army war college uh, and you know i i look at what's happening and it's like they would fail
4: you know, the most basic finals at War College. So a mistake to – most people think it was a mistake to pivot to Iraq. But you remember the mindset then. Yes. It was why did 41 leave this problem for Bill Clinton and 43 was going to finally take direct action against this nemesis that would not stop throwing out inspectors and shooting out planes. Uh, and then he goes and does that. Initially, invasion worked. But the occupation blew up.
13: The occupation was a disaster. It was poorly thought through. Um, We thought we were smarter than we were. And we didn't put the forces in that we needed. We didn't operate in the way we needed. Uh, A lot of people wanted to do things on the cheap. Uh, You know, a lot of people uh, used a a version of counterinsurgency theory, Mm -hmm. which was not quite as effective as they thought it would be. And they ended up in a grinding war for years and years. And the American people rightfully said, why are we here? What are we doing? What's the end state we wish to achieve? What is the end state we're after? That should have been the first question. What is the end state that we are end? after?
4: We, I, you know what my hunch is? And you lived it. You were in uniform. But we saw the protection of the Kurds and the way the Kurds flourished just by yes. allowing for, for us just providing their protection and keeping Saddam Hussein away. We thought probably once we get Hussein out of here, these people will thrive just like the Kurds did. instead, the Sunni Shia thing rose up, the dismissal of the army, the wrong people in charge uh and then we'd have to go back in and do what we feared and that's the urban warfare, the Ramadis the Fallujahs house to house
13: oh exactly. I talk about it in the book uh. That area of the world has been a problem for thousands of years. And, I mean, look, I'm pretty impressed with Americans. I think we're pretty great people. But it's kind of arrogant to think we're going to go in and settle everything. Now, it's not completely crazy because in a place like Kosovo where I served, uh, we did go in. And we did create an atmosphere of
4: peace. Did it factor into the mind thinking in Iraq that you could do the same thing? Uh,
13: I, I think it probably did. Yeah. I think, well, look, look, at, look at these guys. Now they're beginning to thrive. They're building
4: a country. And we don't want to occupy. We no, just want to let people do their own thing.
13: Yeah, and uh, it was interesting. We, we, we went to Kosovo, and the Albanians, who had been dominated by the Turks and the Serbs and the Nazis, everybody, were expecting, okay, another bunch is going to dominate us. And we— we just drive around, and you know our troops show up, and suddenly our guys are getting out and giving school supplies to the local school, and then leaving. And they're just thinking, what, what, what kind of occupiers are these? But we really didn't want to, and we would have done that in Iraq to the extent we could. I mean the the quintessential American to me, Brian Kilmeade, is that, uh, is a the young specialist in the Gulf War uh, who. I was at a combat support hospital doing some prep. They, we hear that there's a POW coming in on a helicopter, right? We're evacuating this guy on a helicopter because he's hurt. And he he looks at me and goes, Sir, do you think he'd like a Coke? I mean, that's the quintessential yeah. American.
4: Uh, the name of the book is We'll Be Back, The Fall and Rise of America. And Kurt, just want to pivot now. The big focus, even with the military, is this climate change. Okay. I mean, everything is about climate. The it's president ridiculous. brings up. With President Xi, climate.
13: Okay. Weather is not a strategic threat. I, uh, you know, I look at climate change, I look at it as a trial lawyer, and I got a lot of questions to ask. Like, where was my ice age in the 70s? Because you said there was going to be an ice age, and I had to give up money and I had to give up freedom to stop it. Well, there's no ice age. Now we got climate change. I got to give up money and I got to give up
4: freedom to stop it. Huh. Seems odd. I want you to hear what Al Gore said on Sunday in comparison to where we're at right now as a country to Uvalde.
7: You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred and confronted with this global emergency. What we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings.
4: Does he really believe that analogy works?
13: Well, he's not a genius, so maybe he does, but it doesn't work. For instance, in Uvalde, there was a killer. And climate change? It, you know, I, I, I'm still waiting for it because the deadline keeps moving, Brian. I'm told that, I, I'm told that the polar bear should be on fire now. Why aren't the polar bears on fire? Oh, it's going to be in five years. Now, quickly, stop! Uh, get rid of your SUV and no more ribeyes.
4: No, Nah, not buying it. Do you think our enemies, Iran, Russia, and China, think climate change first? Well, I, look at <laughs> you, you. Look at
13: Russia. It's pumping out as much uh, petroleum as it can. Iran is laughing off its, uh, uh, you know, just just laughing. And China, China is building coal plants, right, as fast as it possibly can. You know, Germany, you know, Germany's shutting down its nuclear power plants. We're trying to shut down ours. It's ridiculous.
4: All right. Uh, power
13: is freedom. Power is life.
4: Kurt, thanks so much for coming by. Go pick up his book. We'll be back. The Fail and Rise of America, the good, the bad, and the future, which is bright. Kurt, thanks so much. Hey, thanks for having me, Brad. Great to see you. Back in a moment.
2: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. you're with Brian Kilmead.
8: I've reached out to Chris um, and the mes- the message that came back is that uh, he's not ready to talk, and when he is, he will reach out um, so i will I will say to you uh, Chris I apologize to you. Uh, My behavior was unacceptable. And I'm here whenever you're ready to talk.
4: Uh, That's Will Smith, who uh, originally we looked at as a big hero. Everyone Denzel Washington, everyone lauding him. He had a great time at the party. And then his career is quickly falling apart with the slap at Chris Rock. And Chris Rock says, I'm not saying a word about it. When I finally talk, you're going to pay me a lot. So Will Smith just apologized. Who did he just apologize to? Uh, he did
14: that on a YouTube video.
4: Oh, to so himself.
14: Yeah, but apparently Chris Rock was joking about it in his one of his most recent shows.
4: I think he's doing on, joking about it on every show, but I don't think he's explaining, like, Woody, how he really felt. He said people who say that, um, you know, he was just using analogy, people who say words heard have never been punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, between him, Dave Chappelle— both. Remember, Dave Chappelle not only attacked verbally, but attacked on stage, what, two weeks after? And then Chris yeah. Rock, Dave Chappelle, as well Kevin as Hart, uh, right? Chris, yeah, uh, Kevin Hart uh, on stage in Madison Square Garden. Just so weird, last week, the, one of the big stories with Dave Chappelle being con- uh, canceled from this historic theater over in Minneapolis. He ends up selling out across the street. But again, the so-called transgender community, trans, uh, trans community is upset at him. I got to finish watching the special. Did you finish watching the special? Did you I, watch the closer? I, watch, I watched some of it. It was fantastic in the beginning, half real, reflective. I didn't watch the end of it, but I, I just can't believe that they're going after somebody who happens to be minority, a legend who's not Republican, who's clearly, um, who's clearly, definitely not some conservative that you can turn on.
14: But the jokes were smart. Like, I didn't see the whole thing, but I remember we had them at the time. It was, they were well-constructed jokes. They were funny. It's just the, you know, left, or the main, everyone caving to the crazy mob. If you have a sense of humor, you would laugh at it.
4: I imagine, even if not, he's established enough. You can't cancel him. If he could sell out of theater, you can cancel him. He's not the KKK, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilmead.com. I will be on the stage in Newark, New Jersey, August 27. Tickets are available the September 8th in Albany.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
4: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. We come to you from midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Congressman Jason Chaffetz is here. If you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize him from when you watch Fox News. Uh, Also, Shannon Bream at the bottom of the hour. She uh, hosts Fox News at night at midnight. And now, Jason, do you aware that we are in a war on history?
0: Yes. Our history. Yes. And it's do you're stunned we're in it, right? No, it should be. This is You would think these are the types of things we could agree on. So what I was trying
4: to do, and I think it's being affected, I'm going to go back to the stage in Newark, New Jersey, because it's carjacking capital of the country, and I wanted to challenge myself. <laughs> uh, and Shaq grew up there. Uh, we both grew up uh, there playing basketball, me and Shaq, uh, in Newark. But I'll be on stage at a beautiful facility in Newark, New Jersey, uh, August 27th. And then September 8th up in Albany, New York, we're going to take back American, America's story a thousand people at a time. Do you think I'll be successful?
0: Yeah, this is perfect venue for you. you Thank you. You, you. Might, you might have somebody drive you and watch the car while you're inside. I right. well, yeah. just rotate. Yeah, I or mean Uber That's why it I have an there. Uber app. Yeah, yeah, I have
4: an Uber app. And then I could always, if something goes wrong, get another
9: Uber.
0: Yeah, right. You just call and, another one. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm resourceful like that. But I know these are great events. Yeah, you, uh, you, you do well with the live audience. Right, that's good. Um, you mean unlike radio? Yeah, right. It's it's a struggle, but yeah, (laughs) Uh,
4: New Jersey Performing Arts Center.
2: So that'll be great.
4: Uh, All right, so uh, we'll talk about that. Let's get to the big three, then we'll get to Jason.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number
5: three. If there's any inflaming going on, it's coming from China's side. This is taking place within the context of existing policy. So I really think this is much more about Chinese domestic politics than it is about American foreign policy.
4: President and President Xi talked for two hours. What was said, what wasn't, and why is it more important than ever that the speaker go to Taiwan?
6: We'll discuss.
11: Number two,
6: both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. All the tellers, the banking personnel, you know, the tellers and the parking lot attendants that work at the bank,
4: <laughs> the ones that clean the ATM machine. They're always there when I want to take out a 20. You know them. A uh, reality in recession. Not the right words to describe what the Biden administration is spouting on the economy. If there's reality. And there's there, what their reality is, we are in a recession.
8: Number one.
7: And you know what you got? $850 billion just in the last two days in new spending. That is going to make the recession worse and the inflation higher.
4: Now, that's what I think. Larry Kudlow speaking about it. Joe and Joe get to. But poison the bipartisan well for good for the chips bill, sales, and then the stunning 700-page bill uh goes here and blows everything up. We got tax increases, climate projects, $850 billion spent with money we don't have. Uh, Congressman, uh, welcome back. How often did that happen? Something like what happened yesterday. Mitch McConnell has been around forever, obviously. He says, all right, I'll vote for the CHIPS bill. It wasn't easy, even though there was a lot of positive things to it. And after they signed off on the CHIPS bill that they could have used his leverage to stop a reconciliation bill, out comes this finished reconciliation compromise package that any Republican support.
0: I, I mean, they should have seen that coming a, a million miles away. This is not... Really? Oh,
4: yeah. They, they're all you thought Manchin was really negotiating? Because he said, forget it, I'm not doing anything he to he get the He kept saying, number. it's
0: dead, it's dead, but based on the other thing, they're still going to use the reconciliation tool. There's nobody that's going to go through this process. It's like... This is a free pass. You only have to get the 50. You telling me that is the number one tool in their disposal. And there should have been some sort of guarantee in place. And I, I think it's just a huge mistake. I think they got snookered. I think they got outplayed and, um, and, and those senators who did vote for it. Are you kidding me? I mean, even alone as that vote, I don't think they should have voted for it, but in combination with this, Look at what they're doing. I, I and Mansion, what a huge disappointment. I I really thought he he was going to well, hold. He says those he's guns.
4: gotten fossil fuel things in there. He's got commitments for pipelines. He's got commitments to continue with fossil fuel. He's
0: raising taxes and spending hundreds of nearly a trillion dollars in new spending, um, and raising taxes. Things he said he wouldn't do. I mean, all eyes right now. I think the biggest story moving forward is what's Kirsten Cinema going to do.
4: Because it's anything. Because one thing about carried interest, she was dead set against that. Yeah, and I think that she believes that it's not in Arizona's best interest to go put north on the spending package together, which is why they were seeing eye to eye with Joe Manchin.
0: Yeah, the the minimum tax, the carried interest, uh, it's just not minimum fifteen percent corporate tax. Min, minimum fifteen percent corporate tax, and then also you know the massive spending and. Uh, Cinema is probably more prone to vote for the massive spending, but the taxes, she was pretty definitive. We're going to see what kind of backbone she has because evidently Manchin really doesn't have one.
4: Well, he did hold off. There is no the filibuster still in place. Puerto Rico and Puerto Rico and Washington are not states. We have to give him that, correct? They did not pack the court. I mean, at one point, but he those was the only been, guy doing that.
0: Those would have been actually they, – they would have passed what's called the Bird rule. That you have to stick to actual spending to move California. But even
4: if you blew up the filibuster first, then you could have done anything.
0: Well, yes, but it, yes, that that's absolutely true. But if you're going to move things through reconciliation, it has to be based on spending.
4: So here's what Joe Man how uh, Joe Manchin described this deal. Cut for
9: people saying, "Why didn't you wait for the inflation figures? Because I know I'm not adding to inflation.
11: How do you know, Senator? Uh, who? who- Told you that you're not adding to inflation. I mean, was this mm-hmm. a mary Summers discussion? Was there some analysis? From the White House tell you that?
9: I've had discussions with people that we've been trusted on the same people that work with me on saying inflation. Trust me, Joe, inflation will not be transitory. This thing is going to blow up wide. This long. This is not going to be transitory. Okay, so I went against that grain by the same people who've been advising me all along.
4: So I mean what he has in it uh the, the treasury the treasury department has not looked at this to see if it'll add to inflation on first blush they said it might uh decrease inflation a little bit I how you, do you, you've been there so how you
0: do, tell me how how do you spend 800 billion dollars in addition I mean look 370 billion in incentives 300 billion um
4: 300 billion to, uh... See,
0: there's corporate welfare in there. There's all kinds of spending. You just don't spend more money and increase the money supply um, if you're going to fight inflation.
4: How, how much does it hurt that we are
0: raising the corporate tax rate? Many people say, well, it was too low anyway. Well, guess what? It's going to be passed on to the consumer. It, it, these companies are not going to... They have to pass it on to the consumer or they're going to start laying off people. I mean, this tax doesn't just magically show up and say, Oh, well, Hey, you know, we'll just, uh, we just throw this money to the IRS. They pass that on. Guess what? If there are more taxes, these companies charge more that will exacerbate inflation.
4: Cut five is Riley Moore, West Virginia state treasurer.
10: It is really disappointing. His support of this legislation with this tax on coal. And just to be clear, the coal operators aren't going to end up paying this tax. It's like all taxes that Democrats put forward. The consumer will. You already see energy prices rising right now. There's 14% increase in energy prices in this country, which has really driven that CPI number, the uh, number that we just saw come out as it relates to inflation. This is going to just pile more onto that. This is going to increase inflation. So I do have to say, it is disappointing to see that he is supporting this since we are a coal state.
4: And are these two big wins for President Biden?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, Biden, look, I want to tax more. I want to spend more. And he Climate. wants the green New Deal. I mean, th- those are the big th- things that he wants. And he was able to achieve that. Look, when you got Elizabeth Warren praising this, th- th- that should be your first clue that, yeah, maybe they're, they're doing what they're doing. They didn't get everything they wanted, but, boy, they got a lot of it because of Mansion. Big question, though. Will they get? Kirsten cinema. If they if they can't get Kirsten, they can't they can't kind of seal that deal on reconciliation.
4: Well from what you know about New Hampshire, Senator Hassan is vulnerable, right? They told us she's vulnerable. Does she want to vote for this? Do they want to vote? Does Senator Masto in Nevada, does she want to vote for this? So so-called moderates—they might be against this because it could be blowing up their own election fortunes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Senator Kelly is up in a very tough race; will probably lose out in Arizona. You think he'll lose? I do. A- I really think. I look. Like, I—I grew up a large part in my in Arizona. My wife's born and raised in Arizona. I spent a lot of time in Arizona. Um, and I—I I, Kelly is the most just bumbling do nothing senator which is strange for an astronaut
4: just... to go in there and not want to work the guy
0: doesn't work he, but i don't think he knows the policy i don't know if the issues he doesn't work hard he's just kind of sitting there and that's so different than the sort of mavericks that have been out there kirsten cinema jeff flake um uh john, john mccain, john McCain. The, the the tradition and then Mark Kelly just does not fit the mold of being somebody proactive who's out there fighting for the good people of Arizona I don't think he knows what to do so when it
4: comes to climate change I was listening to this special actually on the daily in the New York Times about a Utah Lake Salt Lake uh-huh and it is decreasing yeah and then and then as it decreases and more and more the metals get exposed it could be poisonous how real is that how much does that have to do with uh, man-made climate change,
0: um, uh, look, I think what you, you know throw- what I'm talking about. Yeah, though? yeah. Like- the, the Great Salt Lake is is very shallow. Um, you don't ever see boating out on the Great Salt Lake. I mean, there's a few boats, but you don't go out and go like, hey, let's get the sailboat and do a- it. The depletion of the lake is very real. People
4: are pulling too much pollen from it.
0: Yeah, well, there's a lot coming out of it. Yes, and so. Um, but this whole climate change, the way Al Gore describes it, I'd, I've never, I've never bought into to that. Mm-hmm. What you throw into the the air and what you throw into the water, of course, that has an effect. Um, mm-hmm. And we need rain. We've been going through a large drought. But you know what? Through eons of time, we've had all kinds of changes to climate and weather. And I just, I'm not buying it. I just. The way Al Gore defines it, I'm just not there.
4: Listen, I'm not close to there. And to think you're going to bring it up to lead with President Xi, to think in a time of crisis, economic strife, that we were going to make get a package with climate change as the lead subject is insane to me. To me, it's <laughs> anti-leadership. It's what's going to score for me politically. What about the country? Does that ever come into play? Listen, Jason's going to stick around. Bottom of the hour, somebody a lot nicer will be with us. So just be patient. Shannon Bream, back in a moment.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They
10: have a direct lending prohibition on all thermal coal in this country and any financing related to that. So I don't buy that argument. And secondarily, this is a free market solution. I am a market participant. I'm not a market regulator. And all we're asking for is for the free market to remain free, for these financial institutions to assess risk and capital and decide all their decisions based on those factors and not some woke political agenda.
4: So we want you to play that. That's Riley Moore. I want to do this for Jason Chaffetz. Uh, and the West Virginia State Treasurer, here's what's significant about this. For the last few years, they've been taking these major investment firms and they told them, stop investing in fossil fuels because they're politically yeah. correct people. Be politically correct, even though it may, it's better for the shareholders. There are obviously fossil fuels are the backbone of almost every industrialized country. Stop it. So when Blackstone started re- refusing to invest in fossil fuels in West Virginia, they basically banned them. So they are coming back in these states and banning them from investing. So you might think that West Virginia is not the most prosperous state in the country. I get it. But now these Republican treasurers got to do the same exact thing. How dare they try to destroy an industry because some nose ring, green haired, shirtless protesters might turn on them.
0: Yeah. No, the, Utah was helping to lead the way on this as well. Our our state treasurer um, also went after this. And the credit agency, the credit review agencies. Utah has some of the best credit ratings that you, as for bonds that you can possibly have. But they refused to play that ESG game, that, you know, environmentally social governance a, a game plan because it is a, a manipulation of the market. Of and And you... What's bad for the person who is maybe a schoolteacher or a firefighter or somebody who's retired, guess what? <laughs> They're not going to get the best return on their investment. That's what they want. So you're, not, you're going to, to these major oil companies and
4: saying, yeah, we're not going to invest it when I let you drill. So they go, okay, I'm not going to drill. I'm going to drill what I have right now. I'm going to view my very measured investment offshore platforms, and we're going to pull back. Because I'm not getting the investment in anymore. And that's the goal of the green community. Yeah. So really? Okay, you're not going to do that? Well, that hurts us. It hurts the people that put me in office. So now I'm going to push back on you. And now, maybe, just like Disney, other corporations see what happened at Disney when they got spanked by Governor DeSantis. Maybe this gives them the power to say... I'm not going to get involved in politics. I've been banned in two states now. You say Utah yeah. and West Virginia. Maybe it gives them the power to fight back and say, legitimately, I can't be playing politics with people's money. Yeah, there's
0: they're, they're safety in numbers. The more more organizations, the more investors, yeah. the more thing they if they Boy, can, back. They they got to push back on this stuff because it's not just coal and fossil fuels. It then starts to expand out into other things that they don't want you to do. Um, and it's their way of pushing through regulation and shaming people, um, to the point that it's just not healthy, that people aren't voting on this stuff. They can never pass this as legislation, but they can do it through the back door and they can do it with the Blackstones of the world. That's what's scary.
4: Yeah, I think it's scary, but I, I love the fact that I, I saw that in the Washington Times, not covering many other places that West Virginia is taking action. So I think that's, uh, that's important. The other thing is, uh, I didn't get you to weigh in yet on with Nancy Pelosi's going to have at a press conference, I think starts in 15 minutes, at which time she's going to address her Asian trip that's been on the board since April. Do you believe that there's going to be pressure from the Pentagon and White House for her to back off? And if so, does she back off this trip to Taiwan?
0: I think she should be wheels up before the end of the day and go on that trip. She can't let the Chinese make that decision for her. Um, this like you, like you said, the trip's been on the books for a long time. It's probably more about domestic, uh, internal politics there in China, but I don't care. Uh, She's the speaker of the United States. Uh, She, she can make this very bipartisan and bringing Republicans along with her. Um, but I think she should be wheels up and that plane should be landing in Taiwan or Taipei. Um, you know, whenever she wants.
4: Yeah. And here, here's what, uh, John Radcliffe, your buddy said last night with, Laura Ingram cut 29.
10: The ball is really in Nancy Pelosi's court now for the sake of our national security. Laura, Nancy Pelosi needs to go to Taiwan. The Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party cannot be setting American foreign policy in the South China Sea.
4: Yeah. I mean,
11: it's that simple. Can can you
4: show some toughness to somebody besides Republicans? (laughs) I mean, just just go. You could you depend to be this uh, this tough woman. Go get tough on foreign policy instead of trying to uh, undermine, I think it was President Bush administration when he went to Syria and went to these other places. You're thinking, what is she doing there, sending a mixed message? I'm sure her message is stronger than Joe Biden's, but it's not anti-administration. I was trying to think from their point of view. She can't back out of this unless she gets— COVID.
0: Yeah, exactly. Air quotes. Yeah, you know, we talked about this off air. Uh, yeah, that's the only excuse, and it would be a lame one because it should be just for a few days. And you know what? Go ahead and go fly on to Beijing. Go meet with them as well. I mean, oftentimes uh, lawmakers would go to Palestine, you know, go visit with the Palestinians and then go visit Israel. You can do the same in China and Taiwan. She might, if you did go to Beijing, they might ban her from Beijing after that or not let her out.
4: Plus, I wouldn't go to China. you going to go to China? I've been to China. Oh. Thanks, Jason.
2: Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
13: Welcome to the party. I mean, they have... Uh, you know, in the past said that they are sanctuary cities and that, you know, no human being is illegal and we got to welcome all these people. Well, I'm like, well, guess what? We have a lot of people uh, illegally coming into the United States. And guess what? They want to come to uh, places like New York City and Washington, D.C. and, and you know, many other towns uh, beyond that. It, it, this is not a political sun, all right? This is uh, showing what has been happening
4: to border towns. That is uh, a very passionate Jose Rosas uh, with Town Hall, uh, and excuse me, Julio, and he did a great job. You might have seen him with the Rittenhouse uh, story and a lot of these insurrections, a lot of these protests, the Black Lives Matter things, but he's been down on the border, and man, he's incensed, and it really is disconcerting to see these people flood into our country and wonder. This has happened with 800,000 gotaways and over 4 million people, and what's happening, If case you haven't missed it, the mayor of New York City, Mayor Adams, came out, and originally he blamed just... Governors in Arizona and Texas. Convenient but not accurate. He says you're busting illegals to our state and our city. You're dropping them off and overwhelming all our shelters and social service systems. But upon further review, Texas, and I knew this, was not bussing anybody, any place except D.C. And it was just about four thousand overall over the last six months. Arizona, less than that, but all D.C. And now the mayor of D.C. is asking for National Guard for the illegals that are in their city. And so is the mayor of New York City asking for federal funding and ask for the flights to stop into Westchester County, upstate New- uh, shallow upstate New York, as well as possibly Long Island. There's also an airport in upstate New York. And I know many people don't live in New York that are listening to me right now, but just think very rural areas. And they think they can get away with it because they don't tell the governors. They certainly don't tell the mayors. And now these mayors are standing up, saying, "Excuse me, I may be a Democrat, but I can't handle this." A woman that can handle everything is Shannon Bream, Fox News legal correspondent, anchor of Fox News at Night. Uh, she is the author, the best-selling author. Shannon, welcome back.
1: How are you today, Brian? I'm good.
4: Wow, you're fired up. You know it. It's Friday, right? But but you are usually pace yourself for Friday because oh, okay. you have to peak it back. You don't have to. I'm just <laughs> noting. But, I mean, dude, I find it interesting, this story that never moves, it's just so agonizing for me and for, for most people seeing our border get collapsed, to see our Border Patrol get overwhelmed. But now we're seeing Democratic mayors in D.C. and New York City stand up and say, I need federal help. In the case of Maria ba- uh, Muriel Bowser, she wants National Guard. Your thoughts? Well, it's
1: interesting saying because, yes, I live and work here in D.C. I know you've heard the same things or similar things from uh, the mayor there in New York. Eric Adams talking about their localities, their facilities, uh, being overwhelmed by people coming um, from the border. Uh, and, you know, these Texas communities are saying, like, welcome to the party. I think that's what Julio Rosas said last night. He said, you know, this is the reality of what we're living with every day. I mean, the mayor in New York is talking about our schools, our health care systems, everything's going to be burdened because of this. But that's the reality that those border states live with all the time. So I thought it was very interesting um, when the mayor here in D.C., Mayor Bowser, started to say we need the National Guard, we need help, this is a humanitarian crisis. Um, And I wonder, you know, people are calling this a stunt, saying Governor Abbott and those who are sending people here to to D.C., people are being used as pawns, it's not, you know, a good idea, they're being tricked into coming onto these buses. Um, But I wonder if it is now... Going to work versus backfiring because these local leaders are now seeing, okay, this is just a taste of what's happening at the border.
4: Yeah, for logical people that didn't play politics, yes. But for them to speak up knowing it's going to hurt the president and hurt their party, it shows how desperate the situation is. I mean, for her to call a press conference and not just get President Biden on the phone— Shows it is. And by the way, do you know, have you talked to some National Guards member in DC, how shabbily the National Guard was treated when President Trump was there and he would call them out? to clear out the protesters. They were kicked out of their hotel when they were asked to work the perimeter after January 6th. They slept on the floor in buildings. And now he's going to say, come on back, I need you. If I'm the National Guard, I'll say, no, no, honey, leave my uniform in the closet and my hat. I'm going to stay at Home Depot. I'm going to stay at MetLife where I'm an insurance broker. I am not doing this for her.
1: I mean, we ask our National Guardsmen and women to do incredible things. And like you said, they've got families, they've got careers, they've got things separate and apart from their military service, which they do as well. So when they get called up for something, uh, it's a big sacrifice for them, for their families, for their employers, and for, you know, to be away from all of those things. So, um, you know, we've, they need to feel appreciated, and, and they need to know that the assignment they're on is a fair one, that they're being treated with respect and fairly. And so when they're called into all kinds of different things – whether it's the border here or the border right. there, um, you know, they're they're often put in the middle of very politically heated situations. And we ask them to do incredible things, and we ask them to give up a lot of their personal lives to do it. So um, I would hope that they feel respected in whatever assignment they get. Um, but I think that some of them are probably hearing this from D.C. and thinking, this is not a new problem. This is not unique. It's just now showing up in our area. And now, yeah, we're going to have to deal with it.
4: The great Shannon Bree, my guest, Shannon, this is relative new news you probably know you know everything but the secretary of homeland security mayorkas has authorized customs and the border patrol to start building the incomplete border barriers near the Mariela dam and the in the Yuma sector so the stuff that wasn't able to finish cuz president trump ran out of time uh there's funding there to get it done so they're going to start doing it How desperate must it be for him to have to go do the border wall that Trump says we needed and they said we didn't?
1: Yeah, there is a very bad situation going on in that in that region. Um, Julio talked about this with us last night as well, because he's been down there and seen so much of this firsthand. Um, And he's written about this, that there are situations where there are now regular drownings, that that they are often having to find people who do not make it across those areas who are washed away, um, you know, children whose bodies you find down in the river, adults. I mean, people who are being put into situations that, um, listen, we know the smugglers, the cartels, they're making millions, probably potentially billions of dollars off of what's happening at the border. And when you take people through and entice them through dangerous situations, um, things are going to happen like these these horrific deaths that are happening in that area. And I think they specifically are focusing there because of what's been happening with the waterways. Um, and it is an Admission on their part that things are not going well there, despite the fact that Secretary Morarcus, as recently as the 19th, said the border is secure. People who are living and working and experiencing it down there firsthand know it's not. And it does create situations for um, people who are desperate to come here to go through very dangerous journeys, and some of them don't make it. And that section where they're going to work on the wall is one of the examples of that.
4: All right. So, Shannon, Justice Alito won overseas was he at the Vatican, I think he was, but sponsored by the University of Notre Dame, uh, speaking out about Roe v. Wade and the opinion that he wrote? Was it? Did I have it right? Was it at the Vatican? I'm not sure
1: if it it was, exactly, but he is all over Italy. Um, He is there. Um, You know, so many of the justices do these summer assignments where they go and teach and speak um, all over the place. And, yes, he is in Italy, and um, he's not going to back down on what he signed his name to. And so I think you would only expect that he will say things that people will find controversial.
4: So here's what he said about all those other world leaders who said Roe v. Wade was a step back and offensive.
13: I had the honor this term of writing, I think, the only Supreme Court decision in the history of that institution that has been lambasted by a whole string of foreign leaders (laughs) who felt perfectly fine commenting on American law. One of these was uh, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, but he paid the price. What really wounded me was when the Duke of Sussex addressed the (laughs) United Nations and seemed to compare the decision, whose name may not be spoken, with the Russian attack
5: on Ukraine.
4: So he does not back up one iota. Proud, obviously, what he did using sarcasm to talk about how ridiculous it is for them to weigh in on his decision and... Come one, come all. You would think maybe some of these protesters might have unnerved him, not him.
1: No. Um, and listen, he authored this opinion from the beginning. You know how this works, that the court votes the first Friday after they hear a case. And apparently it seems like from the beginning these five were prepared to stick together and Justice Alito was writing this opinion, Um, there were, I think, a lot of attempts to try to pull away at least one person, which would have changed the the opinion substantially. Um, And he never, I don't think, wavered during the process. I think he was very much focused on what he was going to do and the words he was going to write and the position he was going to take. And that coalition of five stuck together. So I think he feels very much like he has done um, the right thing when you look at applying precedent and legal principles, and, um, you know, he's he's not the kind of person who's going to apologize for doing something that he thought was, um, you know, above board and, and without flaw.
4: Right. Uh, are those protests still happening, do you think? <laughs>
1: They have been um, all throughout the summer. Um, they sort of have a rotation of a different night is a different justice's home. And um, we've covered these Is recently. I was out on vacation mo- this week, um, most of this week and, and some of last week. But even until last week, we were out covering these protests at people's homes and um, at the justice's home So they continue. And there are people, you know, now their neighbors speaking up saying, like, this can't keep going on. It's not just affecting them. Our kids are afraid. We're being harassed. Um, and there are lots of calls for from the DOJ on the federal law um, and the governors in both Virginia and Maryland on the state laws. Like, why is there not better enforcement of arresting these people who are picketing and harassing outside their homes?
4: Citizens arrest. Shannon Bream, go out oh, there. Oh, no, no.
1: Let's not get that headline going.
4: Shannon, <laughs> Shannon, we'll watch you tonight at midnight. See you then. And then party like they're. Like there is no tomorrow. Uh, Back in a moment, you got it. Uh, Back in a moment. Hey, listen. uh, When we come back, I'll give you details on what's going to be on One Nation starting at eight o'clock, repeated at eleven on Saturday night. Brian Kilmeade show.
2: This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show
11: lets him ruin
2: your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: I've reached out to Chris, um, and the, mes- the message that came back is that uh, he's not ready to talk. And when he is, he will reach out. Um. So I will. I will say to you, uh, Chris, I apologize to you. Uh, My behavior was unacceptable. And I'm here whenever you're ready to talk.
4: So Will Smith, uh, of course, put that video out there after slapping Chris Rock on, on the Oscars in 2022. King Richard was a great movie. He was brilliant in it, but no one's talking about that because of the slap. And then we're seeing these attacks on stage from... Lee Zeldin to Dave Chappelle. We wonder, did it start there? Let's find out if there's more to know.
2: More to know.
4: So, you know, Chris Rock has fun with this on stage, but he has not really addressed in the sit-down interview. He said, when I'm ready, I want to get paid for it.
14: Smart. Why not? I mean, I don't know. Maybe he'll write a book on it or something like that that you want to hear his side of it. Also, I think stuff like this takes time to really, like, You know, as you think it through and settle and see how you really feel about it. You don't want to talk about it too soon.
4: Right. And plus, he's on the offensive for that moment. I'll take my time in responding. I'm sure Chris Rock is not minding that Will Smith is being basically iced out of the industry for now.
14: No, I agree. And I think by Chris Rock taking the high road, right, like not talking about it and, you know, it's. It looks better for Rock this whole time. It's just true. Smith is digging his own hole.
4: Next. Monkeys are terrorizing a Japanese city, targeting young children and babies, even hanging out at preschools to grab them. Is this true? Did you? Is this is a true story? It's in more to know. It must be true. The wild scene is playing out in the city of Yamaguchi in southwestern Japan, where city officials say a troop of monkeys has been carrying out the attacks since July 8th. Why July 8th? Do you know? Eric, do you know? What is significant about July 8th? Uh, Biting and clawing at human flesh and sneaking into nurseries to try and snatch
14: babies. Are they out of babies? I don't think they're out of babies. I mean, what I would imagine with the little kids, it might be easier to snag their snacks. Officials
4: say the monkeys are interested in food, so traps aren't working, and they're mostly going after children and aren't interested in food. They're mostly going after children and the elderly, often sneaking up from behind and grabbing people's legs. So weird. Another reason not to go to Japan. You can't control your monkeys. You're not going to have many tourists.
14: That's, that's how you really dictate where you travel. If We're they can the control their
4: monkeys. If you can control your monkeys, <laughs> I might go. Next. Put down the smartphone. A study finds that people underestimate how fun thinking actually is. Humans have a striking ability to immerse themselves in their own thinking, says Kyoto University, again, back in Japan. Our research suggests that individuals have difficulty appreciating just how engaging Thinking can be that could explain why people prefer keeping themselves busy with devices and other distractions rather than taking a moment for reflection and imagination in daily life. It's true. There was a time when people wrote poetry for fun. Has anyone wrote a? When's the last time you met a guy they said I wrote a poem? Oh, Andy does that lake. for me every night. Really? <laughs> uh, I
14: was at the lake staring, and I realized a haiku just flew into my head. No, but I will say this: so in Johan Hari's book who we've had on and the podcast is up you should listen to it it's a stolen focus and how our like technology is stealing our focus he does talk about and he cites other studies and how the mind wandering is actually very good for your brain and it's a good time for you to sort of think of come up with different ideas it's sort of when you are like different thoughts intersect and but you... you can't
4: say thinking's fun
14: it depends i mean i don't you feel fun. better when you like think through a product, do you like, want to weigh in is thinking fun?
4: I mean, do you like to, like, I need to think. When you're successful in thinking through a problem, yeah, it's fun. When it's it resolve, right? Right. Like, for example, if you go to, uh, if you put something together that that you should should not be able to do. Like, for example, I bought two office chairs, and they say for an extra $25, for I think it was $25, would you want us to put it together at Staples? Or do you want to put it together? What do you think I chose?
14: Oh, my gosh. Did you put it together? No. That was smart.
4: Yeah. I do not want to put it together because I always disappoint myself. (laughs) I always always say this is going to be the time I put it together.
14: But I will say that's sort of like a very physical thing where it's like if you have like a problem you're dealing with, how do I resolve it? And, you know, you sort of think it through and you're like, wait, this like all the boxes are checked. Then isn't that such a satisfying feeling?
4: I haven't solved the problem. Well, you know like, what? Do problems problem? do you
14: have? Your life is perfect. Right. You pay people and to put together
4: your children No, no, yeah, I do. But if I can put it for $25 and not feel guilty. Next, dreaming big as children could lead to disappointment later in life researchers at a university over in Madrid followed the lives of 17,000 people in the UK who were all born in the same week in 1958. They analyzed the data of their participants' childhood environments, their parents' professions and financial backgrounds, each child's own abilities, their aspirations when they were younger, their job and their well-being. And it turns out people were let down when they dreamed big and didn't achieve it. Therefore, they feel life is a big disappointment. So this way, if you have no expectations, you'll always be successful. Because when you're not successful... You can't say you exceeded expectations.
14: Well, that is true. I do think expectations are everything in life. However, the study also found that these negative effects did dissipate um, in their later working lives.
4: So I saw this uh, story in the New York Times and it has this book out, The Power of Negative Thinking. Because people who are positive sometimes will say things that just make no sense. So someone says, hey, I'm going through a divorce. Hey, that's good. You'll be have more free time to play tennis. Or if, like, stay within yourself? Stay within yourself. No, that's good advice. Okay. That's not optimistic. <laughs> that's medium. That's Do you play your game? Why do I have to keep explaining that? I want you to watch One Nation at 8 o'clock and then repeat it at 11 o'clock Saturday night.